0: Leadership isn't for the faint of heart. It's dirty, dangerous, difficult, and disruptive. It will test everything about who you are. Unfortunately, as a leader, you're out front, which means you usually only get about 43 feet of good road built for those following behind you while you're running the race yourself. Welcome to the 43 Feet Podcast, where each week you'll hear from some of the greatest leaders we can find, both in F3 and beyond. If you're going to lead, you'll need to be ready for the difficult challenges for what lies ahead in the unknown, for what's lurking in the next 43 Feet. Hello and welcome back to the 43 Feet Podcast. Uh, as always, uh, Dark Helmet here with you. Um, my, uh, my intention is to teach us leadership and uh, move us the next 43 feet down the path. Uh, I am joined today by and I already told him this, uh, so hopefully he, he will take it in stride. But uh, uh, a guy who I I, I admire his work. Um, I'm super excited to meet him. I, I told myself I, I feel like a little bit of like a fanboy. Um, you know, kind of a pretty little bit of a celebrity shock um, because it's a guy who I think is doing incredible work out in the world, and, uh, and so I'm, I'm super excited to speak to because uh, he wrote a book that really um, spoke to me. Um, and uh, and kind of changed the way that I think about some things. So um, he is uh, he's an author. Obviously, we talked about that because uh, he has a book. Uh, he also is a professor of journalism um, at uh, he'll have to tell me, I think it's UNLV, probably. UNLV. Um, yep. Yeah, there you go. Um, and he's I, I would dare say he's kind of like the Johnny Cash of uh, professors, probably because he's been everywhere, man. <laughs> uh, Michael Easter, uh, the author of The Comfort Crisis, joins us today on 43 Feet. Uh, and so, Michael, welcome. Frank, thanks for having me on, man. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, man. I, I'm again, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty stoked uh, to to have you on. I uh, I didn't mention before we started, like uh, I'm I don't read uh, like paperback very well. Um, you know, I kind of fall asleep or I get distracted or whatever. So I'm an audio book guy. But I thought I thought you did a, a bang up job on the old audio book.
1: Thank you. Well, as I was saying before, you listened to eight hours of my annoying voice. Now you get another one or two for this. So. <laughs> Good on you. <laughs>
0: That's right. Uh, We have a a mutual friend um, because F3 obviously uh, works pretty hard um, on this whole male community leadership idea and uh, seeking hard things and stuff like that. We have a mutual friend in Jason McCarthy, who's the CEO of GORUCK. Yeah. Great
1: guy. Love that
0: guy. Uh, I mean, you know, it's funny, but uh, I think he's a widely misunderstood man as well. Some people think he's a jerk or something like that. I'm like, I got to be honest with you. I think he might be one of the most pure, honest dudes uh, left on the planet yeah he just uh, he gets stuff done like one he yeah. gets
1: things done and i will tell you that you know when i have good things or bad things happen to my own life and he catches wind of them i always get a message you know right and it's like Same. a positive message just like yeah okay just because a person doesn't you know isn't super smiley and patting your back and hey buddy good to see you like, like watch their actions
0: you know yeah. and i think that yeah. he's
1: a perfect example of that um, great guy
0: yeah, and, when, and you included him in your book, uh, mm-hmm. Comfort Crisis, and, uh, and for obvious reasons, once we kind of get into this, I hope guys will see pretty clearly why Jason would be in there, because yep. they're on a very similar mission. I think that's the thing about Jason. The thing that I'm getting a sense of from you, and certainly I feel this way about myself uh, as president of F3 Nation and the things that we're trying to do uh, with our men, is uh, we, it, it is men on a mission, uh, yeah. and that mission really is to make better human beings.
1: Yeah, dude. And we need it. It's amazing what you guys are doing. I mean, like, I feel like we're at a very strange point in the world. Um, things are objectively better in so many ways than they were. I mean, even 30 sure. years ago,
0: right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Technologically, hunger's down. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's so many things that, that have improved. There are more literate people. Um, a lot
1: of diseases are down. But mm-hmm. at the same time, a lot of things are, are worse. So certain diseases are way up. Things like yeah. mental health problems are way up. Uh, there's, I think, a meaning crisis, right? So all the numbers and figures might tell you like, yeah, things are great. But at the same time, there's something under the surface that I think um, yeah. people need to get at and work on so you can really appreciate all the uh, amazing things that are happening you know,
0: and savor those. No, I agree. And uh, you, you said that word, and, you, and I believe you say it in the book as well, a meaning crisis, helping yeah. out there. So what is meaning? I mean, that's a good question. It's like, when you
1: get up every day, are you excited about life? Do you feel like you are working for a higher purpose? Are you able to remain present? Are you grateful? I think it's hard to put a very specific definition on meaning, but mm-hmm. it's like, do you have pep in your step? Are you uh, aware of the world around you? And probably that you have it pretty good in the grand scheme of time
0: and space. You know, it's easy to forget that, isn't it? I mean, we get we and and really your book kind of speaks to this, right? But we get a little uh, we get a little comfy. We get used to some of the things around us, and pretty soon we start forgetting to be grateful for this amazing life. I mean, people ask me that all the time, and I you know at first I kind of said it, I think, just to sort of you know, because I thought it was pithy and, and genius. you know, right to say it. And I thought I was being clever. Um, but you know, people would ask me, be like, Hey, man, how you doing? And I would always say my life is an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, you know. Um, but if you really think about it, like that's, that's both the blessing and the curse, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So there's this, uh, there's this concept I talk about in the book, and it's the dorky name for it. This is what happens when you let scientists name things <laughs> is uh, is prevalence induced concept change. And it's this theory by these uh, two psychologists at Harvard, the way you can think about it is problem creep. So uh, they basically did this series of studies uh, where they had people look at 800 different faces. Okay. And the people had to deem if the face was intimidating or Mm -hmm. not intimidating. So the people would go through the faces. Oh, intimidating, not intimidating, intimidating, not intimidating, whatever. But at the 200th face, and this is the catch. They start showing the people fewer and fewer intimidating faces. Okay. So you would think that as they went down the line, they would say not intimidating a lot more and they would say but intimidating a lot off. more. Yeah. Um, and they did a similar study. And this time it was looking at research proposals and deeming whether they were ethical or unethical. Okay. Right, so a similar deal halfway through, we're going to show you fewer unethical ones. And these scenarios, if you think about it, right, they should be black or white. Like a you, face. You would eat. think
0: objectively, this face yes. is either intimidating or it is not.
1: Exactly. The research proposal is unethical yeah. or unethical because we got a moral line in the sand, right? Yeah, right? It should be. Should be. Should be. So, what they find though is that it's actually gray. So, they found that as people saw fewer and fewer intimidating faces, they started deeming ambiguous faces uh, as being threatening. They started doing the same with the research proposals. So what this told the participants is that as humans experience fewer and fewer problems, we don't actually perceive this. We simply reevaluate what we consider a problem. We redefine a problem. So we lower our threshold for what we consider a problem. Mm-hmm. So in the end, we end up with the exact same number of problems and things to complain about, <laughs> except these things become pro- progressively more hollow over time. Okay. <laughs> so this is effectively, this is the science of first world problems.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, and that's hilarious because we, you know, we've hashtag first world problems. We've been saying that for forever, yeah. you know, we talk about, oh, the ink ran out of my pen or, oh, my car, you know, whatever, oh, my beautiful air conditioned car. Oh no, you know, mm-hmm. right. I got a flat tire or whatever, right. That is a first world problem. If you really get yeah. to it, right. You have a car, it is air conditioned. You are driving to a job where you can work and earn money, you know, pretty easily to, yeah. uh, to obtain this money, to access uh, very available, you know, calorie rich food that you can eat yes. and, you know anytime you want and you know it's, it's ridiculous and it's funny that you say that because and and guys in f3 nation know this i'll share it with you as well but uh i'm a member of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints right so we have I this, grew group uh, in utah oh see you so you know is maybe better than anyone uh, right you on. know what, what we're up to here but the, you know sort of this migration west and and you know we were building a community and building a faith and and as we were driven out of different places, and the difficulty, and the and the crossing the plains, and you know building cities out of nothing in the middle of the desert, and all yeah. this kind of stuff, and it was this amazing, you know, galvanizing time. And now I look back, and I and I've told my wife this for years now. I said we are so fat and happy, and and people are leaving <laughs> the church, and people are le- you know, and they're like, eh. and I said well, it's because we live this horrifyingly unchallenged life.
1: Yes. Okay. So here here's a great example of that. I mean, it's like how many people. And I'll count my, I'll put myself on this list. How many mm. people hate flying? Because flying is, it's awful, right? It's like the seats <laughs> right, are yeah. cramped. I enjoy nothing. Yeah. The plane is too hot. They got these screens that only work half the time. And when they do, they've got awful movies, coffee, right. tea, whatever you want. It's going to be terrible. Bathroom. If cramped. they're serving it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So back to what you were saying about the founding of Utah and the people moving across the plains. I have like a great, great, great aunt. Okay. Okay. She was a pioneer migrated to utah mm-hmm. helped settle it Handcart the whole thing she got an infection in her leg on the way and they had to saw it off in the middle of nowhere on a hand cart. and she went to about <laughs> ninety. 18
0: whatever it was yes right you know what do they do i mean do they like pour whiskey over i don't have no idea like how do they i don't know beat the infection who knows right how does i don't she know even do that there's yeah. even
1: in fact a statue of her at the university of southern utah shut um, up Yeah, and so like imagine imagine that now, and like it's not if I wanted to go to Missouri now, do the opposite thing (laughs) and be like, yeah, just jump on that plane. Oh, this is so awful. Meanwhile, my great great aunt is like in this handcart for three months,
0: you know, having to chop her own
1: leg off. It's just like, oh my god. And so so this is like
0: this stick. It's not like we have anesthesia, right?
1: Yes, exactly. So effectively, this is the point I'm trying to make about this idea of uh, comfort creep and problem creep. It's like nowadays we complain when we get on uh, a plane. Because our brain is not designed to look back at any given moment and be like, oh, man, you know, if it were 150 years ago, uh, I'd be in a handcart for three days or three months, whatever it is. Right. right. So this is amazing. No, we look at the last thing. We're like, man, this sucks. Right.
0: Yeah. Keep um, if the Wi-Fi went out. Exactly. Like, I can't text my friends.
1: <laughs> exactly. And so this is something this feature in our brain is something that actually used to be beneficial in the past so because you think as when the world is harsh uncomfortable mm-hmm. we're evolving we're you know we're in these trying environments it made sense to always be looking for problems and to never be satisfied because you probably didn't have enough food you know the storm probably was coming in you had all these right. things to worry about but nowadays that we flipped our world to be so comfortable now it leads to sort of first world problems so it's kind of a mismatch
0: yeah it, it is interesting right and and in fact the it made me think because you were talking uh did you, did you ever see that Louis C K bit? I know we're not supposed to mention him anymore because he's a horrible person um or whatever but uh and he talked about like guy on the plane who was like you know pissed off that the, the Wi-Fi went out and he was like okay hey did you ever think I'm flying through the air <laughs> like a b bur- I'm experiencing the miracle of flight? Yeah you not know, contributing yeah, zero like what have you done lately to make the world better um but uh, but that's exactly it, right? When when we have no real problems, and when I say real problems, I mean things like survival problems,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? Right. Uh, we have for whatever reason, it does make sense, right? Evolutionarily, that we would say, okay, I have to look for problems because problem means death, right? So that's I'm wired right. to look for a problem, you know, caveman style, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if I don't, if I'm not looking for things that are anomalies, looking for things that could be problematic. I'm going to fall in a ravine. I'm going to get eaten by a saber tooth, something or another, you know, whatever it might be. And, and then here we are, we're wired to think that way. And now since there's literally nothing, I mean, the most dangerous thing I'm going to do probably this month is drive to work, you know, (laughs) statistically speaking, right? Yeah, totally. You know, and, (laughs) and so I, I guess it's, it's just because it's my survival instinct somewhere deep inside my lizard brain that I'm looking and going, well, well, there's got to be something wrong. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, to, I mean, today it's,
1: you know, if you think, uh, and I'm not saying that the world doesn't have problems and we don't need to fix things, but sure. I would argue that even if you have a problem today, you are much better equipped to face it than you were Thirty years ago, fifty years. I mean, think if you got, think if you come down with cancer. That is, that is, that's a problem for sure, right? But you're even better equipped to face it than you were today. Um, And I think sometimes we we forget that. And the other thing that's interesting is that you find when people face real, legitimate problems, for example, a cancer diagnosis, if they are able to come out on the other side of that alive, it often changes their life in such a way that they look back and be like, "That was actually." kind of a good thing because yeah. it made me realize like life is short and I've made, um, changes to my life that I'm, I'm living better. I'm enjoying life yeah, yeah. a lot better now. Yeah, like this that is all a the very time. common thing that happens to people who, um, face like real threats to their life, near death experiences. Right.
0: Yeah. In fact, we, we, and, and so this kind of, that's a great segue into the sort of this next idea, which is that we sort of try and manufacture some of that sometimes yeah. in, in what we yes. do in F3, right? And we we often say, in order for a leader uh, to be prepared, he's got to subject himself willingly to periods of high stress and low visibility, you know, where it's going to be cold and dirty and dark and dangerous. Mm-hmm. And he's got to subject himself to that to kind of inoculate himself in a very similar way that you would, you know, inoculate yourself against any disease, right? Or yeah. any you know uh, problem, right? You, you take little bits of it, with, uh, safe amounts of it, yes. And it builds up your your tolerance, your immunity to that that thing over time, right? Yes. And so we we participate in what we call you know a seesaw, right? A completely stupid and utterly pointless activity, uh, and that could be everything from, I mean, it, depending on a person's fitness level or whatever it might be, it could be everything from you know running a Spartan race mm-hmm. you know, to uh, to doing a go rock, you know, activity. Yeah. Where we, you know We we often participate. In fact, one of our we we consider it one of our. High-level, you know, leadership experiences that we provide for men is—they're great. You know, yeah. a weekend, you know, of twelve hours of pain and suffering, you know, <laughs> in uh, in the dark, you know, overnight when you're tired and you're angry and you know all that kind of stuff, and you watch how this team evolution sort of evolves, you know, yep. throughout the entire night, right? And and guys come out the other side of this thing, and it's funny, you know, after I've done so many of them, I do the same thing, right? I've done probably at least a dozen or more. Uh, of these events with our guys. And, and also just, you know, with go rock in general, because I love them uh, because I got kind of hooked on this whole, you know, like do something horrifying that, you know, I never thought I could do that sense of accomplishment after that first one was amazing. But now yeah. after, you know, number 12 or 15 or whatever it is, I get, like, Meh. you know, it's kind <laughs> yeah. of you know, like, you know, guys are like, you don't know how many of these. And I'm like, Hey, now you just sort of, you live through 12 hours. It's not really a big deal anymore.
1: Yeah. You doubt so but, what am but- I doing? Go but, ahead. but the beauty is that like you face any, any other challenges because you've adapted to that. Like now those are, are easier. Right. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. saying that there's a one-to-one carryover. Like if you face a challenge in your marriage, like it's not going to be exactly the same, but I do think it gives you, I, I do think it al- can alter your behavior in such a way and give you a sort of confidence in yourself that you can face any other challenge differently and with a better perspective. Right.
0: Agree. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you talked about, talk about some of that kind of stuff in the book. Yes.
1: So yeah. there's, um, there's a section in the book where I talk about this concept called Masogi. And I learned about this from a guy whose name is Marcus Elliot. So the things you need to know about Marcus Elliot are one that he's a bit of a seeker. So he was going to Burning Man, like way back in the day. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, lived out of a VW van Okay. (laughs) Counted cards to get himself through college. Clearly he
0: was, i say clearly he was married with children.
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The second thing you need to know about this guy is that he's brilliant. So he goes to Harvard medical school, right? I think he went to Harvard Mm -hmm. undergrad, goes to Harvard medical school, decides I don't want to be a doctor. I want to revolutionize sports science, which is, which is like a, a statement that is almost arrogant in how like you know big okay. and grand it is right
0: I mean, how many sports scientists are there and what kind of body of work i mean i would say some of the best science that we have has been dedicated to athletes and sports and those kinds of things because of a there's yeah. a lot of money to throw at it and you know and it's just such a prevalent uh, and public thing that people want to know and want yes. to improve and want to make better. Right. So you're right. It's not not just to say I want to change an element of science. If somebody stood up and said, I intend to revolutionize the you know the the science around the African uh three legged slug, yes. you know, be like, oh okay. well, maybe okay. you can do it. Big deal. I'm sure two experiments will take care of that. We're talking about something with a huge body of work. Right. Correct. Yeah, so this is a very, very bold statement.
1: Yeah. So this is in the early two thousands. And um, I mean, long story short, he ends up doing it. So he's the first guy to <laughs> really so um, quantify uh, human movement performance and injury mm-hmm. risk. So he does this stuff where he, he touches all these like reflector things to athletes and he'll have them move through all the movements they would in the game. And from that he can take all those movement data points feeds into this big AI server. I know nothing about Mm -hmm. tech. So like uh, apologies, the tech Uh part is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um,
1: but then he can basically say like, look, the way that your, let's say knee slightly moves in when you land on this jump, um, based on all the other thousands of players we've looked at when people, when this happens to people's knee, they have a 60% chance of getting injured this season. So then they can work to create, to correct it. Right. So. Preemptively. Preemptively, yes. So his facility is called P3. He's got one on the West Coast, one on the uh, East Coast. They got contracts with the NBA. Every NBA player recruit moves through there. Um, Mm -hmm. He's worked with everyone. I mean, just name anyone. Yeah. And so I told you all that. So you'd basically know that he's all about numbers and data and figures and quantification, right? Mm -hmm. But he also realizes that the things that most improve not only an athlete's performance, but also the performance of everyday people and their potential mm-hmm. can always be measured, right? There are certain things and qualities that people have on board that you're just like, dude, that, like that person just has it. Like give them the ball in the last second, right? Send yep. them Don't, in front of make the crowd. It happen.
0: Yep. Right.
1: So to get to that, he does this thing called Masogi and Masogi is a, an, essentially a uh, once a year you go outside and you do something really hard. So the two rules to Masogis are one, make it really hard, which he defines by saying you should have a 50, 50 shot of finishing it. And then two, uh, don't die. And that's just kind of a tongue in cheek (laughs) way of saying, like, don't be an idiot about this. Right. Right. Use some basic safety measures. Um, and what he's trying to do is if you think about as humans evolved, we used to have to do challenging things all the time. This could be from a big hunt. This could be from yeah. moving to summer into wintering grounds, all these different things, right? Uh, and each time we would take on one of these challenges, they didn't have safety nets. They had a high risk of failure. Failure could maybe mean death. Uh, but by finishing those challenges, we would learn something about ourselves and our potential, right? Mm-hmm. Today, we don't really have challenges like that, you know? No. A challenge would be like, oh, I have to present in front of a group at work. And if you fail at that, it's because you, like, misspelled something on slide three. So failure isn't actually death, right? Right, yeah, it's failure. Yeah. Yes. Hashtag failure. Exactly. Emotional exactly. failure. It's not real failure. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So the idea behind um doing something outdoors that is really hard is that we're trying to mimic these challenges that humans used to face in the past that our environment would naturally show us that would in turn show us uh, our potential. So what tends to happen mm-hmm. is and he's he's done challenges um the wackiest one. These are usually made up wacky uh, the strangest one is one year, him and three other guys, they got this eighty-five pound boulder, and uh, they took it out to the Santa Barbara Channel, and it's just they, not light.
0: No, it's that's not a, a light heavy boulder. boulder. It's a, that's heavy a hard. Rock. That's a hard lift. I don't care who you are. <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: Uh, and they walk it five miles underneath the Santa Barbara Channel. So one guy dives down, picks up the boulder, scoops it up, walks it, you know, ten yards, drops it. The next guy goes until they finally have this thing at point B.
0: And the whole way across. You're treading water or carrying the rock. Uh, yeah. 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 yep, exactly. Yeah. So Again, just to kind of give people a visual of saying like, oh, okay, yes, they went down, got back in the boat. No, 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 no boat. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe a safety yeah, boat. Right? Yeah, they, so they had a safety part. Yeah, yeah. They, so they that's the don't die part. It is interesting that don't die is part of it, not just out of the kind of tongue in cheek, but also that, I mean, however remote it may be, there is, there is a risk. There is yeah. a real risk. They yeah, there is a risk. Yeah, Yeah, it
1: could have totally. Um, But there's other, I mean, there's simpler things they have done too, right? It could be like, well, here's this peak we can see way in the distance. Let's see if we can get to the top of it today. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And what tends to happen is if this is really designed to hit that, I have a 50, 50 shot of finishing is that inevitably people will reach an edge where they think they can't finish. Right. They're Mm -hmm. like, I've hit my edge. There's no way I can go past this. I got to quit. But if right. you keep putting one foot in front of the other, you can then look back and have this realization. It's like, oh, well I thought I'd reached my edge, but I'm now past it, right? So I've sold yeah. myself short here. And then that leads to the question, where else in my life am I selling myself short? And that's yes. what we're going for here, right? So this is yeah. a phys- this is a physical tap. This is actually like a mental spiritual, emotional task that is masquerading as something physical. We're trying to incite a change because then you can ask this question. You can see by being thrust well out of your comfort zone, Mm -hmm. it expands and you realize that you were capable of more than you thought possible. And so I think that what happens in, in modern life is even when we take on challenges, we'll often train for them for like
0: six months. Right. So we don't go
1: into it being like, I don't know if I'm going to finish this marathon. What happens is we go pretty
0: good idea. Yeah. You go, you may not beat your PR, but
1: that's that's it. It's not, it becomes, I don't know if I'm going to finish this in three hours or whatever the goal is. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but by not, by sort of dancing on that real edge of failure and not being able to fix something, I mean, I think things really start moving for people. Mm -hmm. And, um, he's had a lot of athletes do it who are just totally, studs in different games and,
0: you know, it moves the dial. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Um, so, and you talk a little bit about this if I'm remembering correctly, like something changes though, physiologically in your brain, when you overcome this thing, there's, there's something that, that shifts. Yes. Well, I think when you look at all the research on
1: um, how the brain impacts exercise, I mean, mm-hmm. when you feel tired during exercise. That is more or less thought of by scientists as a protective emotion more than anything. So you look at studies on how much uh, effort people put forth, how much muscle they use if they're doing a workout. Um, it's well below what they're capable of. I mean, people will yeah. use only like fifty percent of their muscle capacity, and the reason yeah. for that is um, as we evolved in the past, it's like your body didn't want you to go so hard that you hurt yourself or damage yourself because if you did that, you know, it would that be go eat you. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Uh, But nowadays it can, it can kind of hold us back. Right. So I think what happens is like your brain starts to tell you like, no, you're done. You're done, man. You got to shut this thing down. But the reality is, is you have way more in the tank than you thought that you did. So if you can go past that, it's like, you realize you have a bigger tank. And once you realize that all of a sudden, it's like, think of Roger, Roger Bannister, right? It's like for millions of years, no one could run a mile in four minutes. Right everyone's working impossible. on it everyone thinks it's impossible this guy does it and then what happens like 10 other dudes do it in like next week right so it's like and it was like, oh, like crazy
0: nice. you yeah, can it do was it all yeah. in your mind yes, right? it was exactly. all locked up in there uh, yeah. and and that's one of the things that i find absolutely fascinating in fact trying to build a, a coaching business around it is this idea of the self limiting belief and how how removing that like it's amazing what happens it really is literally like taking a mask off of your eyes like taking a blindfold off and you go oh wait, all this was here. Yeah. Exactly. I had no idea. You know? And and
1: you can talk about that all you want, but I think it's one of those things where you have to experience it. Right. Yeah. It's like the person yeah. has to be thrust into it. So like, if you just go, yeah, I got a self-limiting belief. Like I shouldn't be afraid of X, Y, Z. I'm more capable than I thought possible. Um, that's not going to, that's not going to move the dial for you in normal life. You have to actually go out and show yourself that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would be really interested to see at some point in the Future, uh, if it doesn't already exist, some research around that idea of you know what does happen when it moves from what we would call head knowledge, you mm-hmm. know, intellectual, down to heart knowledge. You know, like what it, what it, did yeah. something happen? What what shifts you know chemically that 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 says, oh my gosh, he gets it now, and you can see it. You know, in the right. uh, in what's happening. I don't know, it'd be interesting. But a um, c- couple other things here. Uh, <clears throat> number one, so the name of the book though, Michael, mm-hmm. is Comfort Crisis. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, all this sounds wonderful, pardon my sarcasm, right? <laughs> you know, this sounds great for the 1%, you know, for the high achievers, for the, you know, how we, how guys like, and I'm not patting myself on the back, but guys like you, guys like me, guys who, you know, work out on F3, guys that you run into like Jason McCarthy or, or you know, any of these number of other guys, right? It's great for them to, to break through these, you know, these, these barriers and, and, and achieve even higher things that they were already achieving. These are people that are already high achieving, right? So how is that a crisis?
1: So I mean,
0: so first I'll say this.
1: If you think about why humans want to be comfortable, I mean, we always do the next most easy thing, right? Sure. That's because we involved in harsh, uncomfortable trying landscapes where doing the next most comfortable thing always made sense. Helped us survive, right? right. So you don't want to move more than you have to because calories are at a premium. If you yeah. have the opportunity to eat a lot of food, eat it. Because the lean times are inevitably coming, right? Three days from now,
0: you're going to have nothing for a while. Exactly.
1: You don't want to be too cold. You don't want to be too hot. You want to avoid any and all risk of any type. But especially starting around the Industrial Revolution, the world started to flip, where all of a sudden now, it's become too comfortable. So think of the Mm -hmm. things that most impact your daily experience and life. They've all been invented in the last 100 years, okay? You wake up in a soft bed, you have a temperature-controlled home. You don't have to work for your food. There was an excess of food. You do not have to move at all in a day, really. I mean, you could take like. I don't even have to worry steps. about
0: vermin. Yeah, I have people come and take care of that. You know, they they spray things and the bugs, and the, the race, you know, the mice and the rodents, and all go away. Exactly, yeah.
1: and I mean, even in the past, we had to um, face times of boredom, and those often told us to go do something else with our time. <laughs> Nowadays, it's like I just pull on my cell phone, right? Right. Um, so when we talk about like. Yes, this is a this is a problem among the groups you just talked about, but I would argue that it is a problem uh, that a lot of the country as a whole now faces. So think about most of the problems that we now face as a society. What are our biggest things? Um, overweight and obesity issues oh, yeah. are huge. More than 70 percent of the country is either, either overweight or obese. That mm-hmm. is largely due from the fact that people do not want to move and there is plenty of comfort food to quell your yeah. whatever your bored your you know, emotions you, or whatever yeah, your
0: kids your kids open to look and i i as a guy who is uh i i say it all the time I, i'm i'm a uh a meso or a you know um and endomorph endomorph you know yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna get fat just just look at yeah. the food it's just a thing right so i have to be real careful right but i eat my feelings you know yeah. i do when i get mad or upset or sad or whatever i'm like mm, twinkie will help you know, yeah. and uh, <laughs> totally me, don't you Twinkie, you know? <laughs> you know? And uh, and and but it's it's almost comical how like even my kids, I got three daughters, you know, they'll they'll open the pantry, open the fridge, and be like, there's nothing to eat. Yeah, exactly. Like, this is like this is like a month's worth of bounty for you know some parts of the world, you know. Oh yeah. And, we all eat like like kinks, did
1: even like oh, yeah, two hundred years. Ago.
0: We throw away more
1: yeah. than yeah, some we people throw away
0: about and, a third of food gets thrown away. Um, in fact, what, and I don't know the number, but some crazy number like that gets thrown away before we even see it. Yeah, probably because it was ugly or it was, you know, it didn't right. look right. Or oh, the tomato's not red enough and you know they throw it like It's gone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you look at statistics
1: on how much people move. So, uh, 98% of people when faced with either escalator or stairs will take the escalator. Only 2% will take the stairs, right? So this <laughs> factors into our crazy rates of like heart disease and all these yeah. other metabolic diseases. Uh, we spend 95% of our time indoors because, mm-hmm. uh, indoors is more predictable. It's more comfortable. Sure. I don't have to worry about being too cold or too hot, or maybe there's an animal or, you know, right. Anything like that. Yeah. Uh, we spend more than 12 hours a day engaged with digital media. Right. We didn't have any of that in our life, even a hundred years ago. And now yeah, it's should, more or less become our lives.
0: Right. It should only be an hour a day and it should be this podcast. And that's really all you need. Yes, but, exactly. Okay, no, but, <laughs> but, but to that point, right here, we are trying to, you know, uh, tell people, Hey, you shouldn't be doing this on the medium to tell anyway, you anyway.
1: Know, yeah, exactly. You know, and so, you know, and it's funny because people will be like, well, you're mostly talking about a problem that only exists for people in the United States. And, you know, when I, when that criticism first came out, I was, I thought, yeah, that, that could very well be. Dude, since this book has come out, I have had people from every single continent from all different types of economic backgrounds. So long as they have a connection to the internet, people have messaged Uh me to say like, oh man, like, yeah, you're totally spot on with this argument. Because the reality is is that all these comforts are creeping everywhere throughout the world now. you know. And like, yes, I am not saying that every single person in the world is abundantly comfortable. Uh, But I am saying that probably at this point, most people are, and it is only increasing in comfort over time.
0: As I was saying, even those people that we would we would look at and say, "Gosh, that must be horrifyingly uncomfortable," are by ratio or by proportion, are more comfortable than they, than they were. Yes, you know, ten years ago, twenty years ago, fifty years ago.
1: Exactly. Are they are they uncomfortable compared to the grand scheme of time and space? I would argue, probably not.
0: Yeah. It's all relative. Yeah. yeah, In proportion. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so I, so the answer then obviously is go and live, uh, on the land with nothing, but a pocket knife and a granola bar and, and, and carve out a life. Not even the granola bar. (laughs) Don't forget the granola bar. Half (laughs) a granola No, not even a half a granola, right? Kill your own food, do your own thing. And somehow then we'll solve all the problems in the world.
1: So I am arguing that, uh, Although that would be, that would probably be pretty rad. Some people would enjoy that. Um, Bro, no, I am arguing people, that. People talk about is, an
0: overpopulation problem. That would solve some things. Yes, it would.
1: <laughs> I'm arguing that we just need to insert some fundamental discomforts back into our life. I am not suggesting that we go back to the stone age or anything like that, but sure. I do think that we have tipped so far, uh, the balance has tipped so far in favor of comfort and we're suffering yeah. for it that we just need to find ways to insert discomfort back into our life in a variety of ways. And I think it can, um, Solve a lot of the issues that we now face.
0: Because we, we are, uh, to your point, the obesity would be bad enough, but it's all the comorbidity that comes with the obesity right. that's really killing us, right? I mean, yeah, it's all the exactly. things that come with it. And that, I mean, that's, uh,
1: I was talking to a guy yesterday whose name is uh, Mike Roussel. He's a really awesome uh, nutritionist. And, you know, we were talking about how that 70% figure is all pre COVID. Uh That's going to be, I mean, it's totally just the data will catch up. I mean, that's got to be, I wouldn't be shocked if it was like 80% now after COVID. His dad is a greatest story. Yeah. His dad is a tailor, uh, has been his entire life. The dude has never been more busy in his entire life because so many people outgrew their clothes during the pandemic.
0: Yeah. You know, crazy. Wow. I guess I'm in the wrong business. Um, But (laughs) that's interesting. You know, I never, that's one that I, I truly would never have thought of. Uh, you know, a boom, right? In the tailoring business, because it's like I guess I can't get my fat self back in my suit. I better let this out, on yeah. Much, get a new suit. <laughs> wow, yeah, no, right. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. That is that is very interesting. Um, so yes, introduce a little hardship, introduce a little chaos, introduce a little difficulty, introduce something hard for yourself, and maybe not everybody's ready to go and do a full, uh, full-on crazy Misogi type uh, adventure. Although to be fair, you, you even mentioned it, right? It doesn't have to be carry a water across the English channel or carry a rock under, underwater, you know, uh, under <laughs> you know, crossing the English channel, but, but something, yeah. right? Something so of, at some level where there's a 50% yeah. chance of failure. Think you, of that, that might be running a 5K.
1: That's why anyone can do it. Because mm-hmm. my 50% is different than your 50% is different than your 50% and on and on and on, right? So here's an example. Uh, my mom is in her 70s. She read about this concept in the book. She takes her dog on a walk like every day. This mountain, she lives in Utah. So uh-huh. it's this trail that I think is a total of six miles. She only ever does where, three. where
0: in Utah, if you uh, northern
1: Utah. Utah, Bountiful. Okay. Area.
0: Like, Og- Og- Bountiful. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So the mountains, lots of plenty to do there.
1: Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So she, she only does three miles because she can't do six, right? Can't do six. Sure. She reads about the book. She goes, you know what? I'm going to try six today. And she goes for it. She's like, I had all these moments where I had to stop, catch my breath, all the stuff. But I did the full six. And what did she end up doing when she gets home? She realizes, oh, I'm actually more capable physically than I thought I was. So she ends up booking this trip that she had put off because she didn't think that she could do all the walking that it required it was with like some tour. So that's, I mean, that's what we're getting at, right? Like for her, it was doing the six miles. Yeah. For you, it might be, man, I've only run, you know, five miles is the longest I've ever run in my life. Well, sure. do you think you could do seven? If you're like, man, i probably do seven. Well, what about Maybe. like
0: 10? You're like, yeah. Ooh, I don't know about 10.
1: Well, go try 10. Like, what's the I worst know. that's going to happen? You're not going to die. Well,
0: And it's funny because that's exactly the concept, you know, that, that we, we look at. And, and so the first time, and, I, and I'll just share this, uh, now that we're friends, I can share my side too, right? Um, but uh, I want to say one of the very first things that a guy – asked me to do is they said we have something here uh, you know charlotte north carolina area right so we have something called the, the uh the palmetto 200 and so okay. Palmetto's that's the state uh tree of south carolina right mm-hmm. and you run a relay race you've heard of this kind of thing ragnar you know whatever else right but okay. it's a 200 mile relay that you run with your buddies mm-hmm. And the longest i'd ever run up to that point probably was about you know four or five miles or something like that and, and i was like and that's you know, at the time it was like, oh, these are 10 minute miles. You know, I'm, I'm making it through, but that's about it. You know, that kind of thing. And they're like, let's go do this. And, and you get a little bit of that, uh, uh, testosterone flowing, you know, a little competitive spirit flow and guys are like, oh, maybe you can't, you know, and then you go, oh, oh really? Oh really? You know? Yeah. And, and I remember, I mean, I literally remember on the other end of that, uh, coming home and, and Michael, I mean, I, I, I bawled yeah. and part was probably exhaustion. You know (laughs) that's awesome right but it was like i never in a million years dreamt that i would do anything like that that i was even vaguely capable of something like that yeah and the way that we do it in groups too is you know now those guys and i haven't run another race with that exact group of guys i've run several others but not not that exact group of guys uh since but a couple of them sure but even the guys that, you know, I ran with me the very first time. We've never run together again on something like that. We still have this, this bond, this, totally. this amazing thing that we talk about. And it's not just war stories either. You yeah. know, it's the, the van pulled up and I'm trudging up this hill and I'm like, just kill me. You know, yeah. <laughs> just shoot me. Dead, right? just run jump. me over, it's... please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Can you just swerve a little to the left and make this easy for me? You know, and they're shouting out of the, the side of the van. Come on, man. Come on. It's only half a mile more. It's only half a mile more. You yep. know, and and they, they push you to make you do it. So, so there's some value, I think, as, as well in some, uh, I don't want to call it partner Masogi, because that sounds a little weird, but you, you, that's the idea, right? Having Is, a team you with you. Yeah, I think can you be helpful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think you can do it alone if you want to. But if you if you have, especially if the people that you're with are equally um, physically capable.
0: I oh, think I thought you were going to say mentally deficient. But yeah,
1: okay. Oh. <laughs> good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then, yeah, I think it's I think it's probably better with
0: people. So how how in the world did you get from being a I mean, you're, what what is this mission you're on, bro? Like what are you doing here? What is this? Why why did you decide this? How did this end up in your head where you're like, holy crap, I think I'm onto something here? I mean, you're you teaching journalism, yes?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so now I'm a professor at uh, UNLV. Before this, I worked at Men's Health for a bunch of years, uh, Men's Health Magazine. So, And and I had things in my life where the combination of some life events and also working at that magazine, it kind of showed me like, look, if you want to improve your life in any way, any capacity, whether it's I want to get fitter, I want to lose weight, I want to improve my mental health, I want to improve my relationships, whatever it might be. Usually, you have to go through some form of discomfort to get there. Right. So, exercise would be the classic example. Do you sure. want to get fit? You're going to have to exercise. Exercising is right. hard. Right. It's terrible. Yeah. And then um, I meet this dude whose name is uh, Donnie Vincent, and he's this backcountry bow hunter and filmmaker. And I get commissioned by Men's Health to do a story on this guy. And this is, I had moved to uh, Nevada to teach and to be a professor at UNLV. Mm-hmm. And we end up, uh, going hunting in the back country for like five days, which is, he was up there for a lot longer, but I could, you know, I can only carve out five days. Right. And it was interesting because I'd been thinking about this idea of the benefits of discomfort, but in going into the wild so far off the grid, it was like an introduction to all these different forms of discomfort that I hadn't even thought about. Right. It's like, I'm freezing yeah. cold the entire time. Hunting is actually very boring. If you've never hunted, it's like a lot of like kind of waiting, you know,
2: Yeah. Yeah. Around, uh, my cell
1: phone man. didn't work. Uh-huh. Uh, we, did, you only bring in so much food because like who wants to carry a ton of food?
0: Yeah. You could be carrying a lot of extra for no reason.
1: Yeah. So I'm starving there, yeah. for five days um, to get water. We had to hike down to this stream and hike it way back up and, and on and on and on with these different discomforts. And, you know, it occurred to me like, oh, this is the kind of stuff that people faced every single day. In our past. And so when I get home, though, it's like, man, I feel so much like better. Like, I just felt better in mm-hmm. every way, you know, mm-hmm. and I wanted to get to the bottom of that. Like, what was it about discomfort that seemed to move the dial for me? And about a year after that story came out, Donnie calls me up uh, and he goes, do you want to come up to the Arctic with me for more than a month? I'm going to be up there. And before I can say no,
0: no (laughs) before
1: I can even say anything, say no, he goes in on this sales pitch, you know, Uh and he's a great storyteller. He's like, dude, it's going to be the most amazing, epic thing a human could ever do. We're going to time it to the great caribou migration. There's going to be thousands of animals coming off. Had he done
0: something like this before?
1: Oh, he, yeah, dude. He does it all the time, right? Oh, all the time. This is his job. He goes up into the craziest remote places ever for months. Yeah. And so then he's like, there's going to be grizzly bears and we're going to see wolves and we're going to like cross glacial rivers. We're going to face whiteout storms. And, you know, I'm in Las Vegas at the time and I'm like sitting on my couch and in my air conditioning. And I'm like picturing myself like the character in a Jack London novel. Right. I'm like, (laughs)
0: yeah, man, that's me. That's me. You know, is, is it just me or is the wind blowing my hair in a perfect direction? That's, That's exactly yeah. it. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I say yes, and I start uh-huh. training, and I sign on, and I buy all this outdoor gear and stuff, and I'm getting ready. And then uh, a couple months before we were all set to leave, I meet up with him, and we're going over stuff, you know. And he's like, "Now you realize this is going to be more dangerous and extreme than the than the Nevada trip, right?" And I'm like, "Yeah." I'm like, how much more? Can he?
0: On. I'm he Jack goes, London.
1: Have we not talked about this? I'm clearly prepared. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Then yeah. he goes 20 times. And I go, Oh, 20 times? Yeah, I could do that. I thought you were going to say 50. And he looks at me and goes, Well, you know, it could be 50, it could be 70, It could be 90, yeah. actually. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd sign him on, right?
2: Yeah.
1: And I found he was totally right about the 90 figure. So we spent more yeah. than a month up there. So in the book, um, I chronicle that time in the Arctic. And as yeah. I face these different fundamental discomforts that I faced up there, for example, the idea of Masogi, the idea of boredom, what extended time in nature does to the brain, uh, how we've lost hunger in our lives, and what that does for us. Uh, even facing the life cycle, all these things, I sort of then um, weave out of that main narrative and talk about, you know, a bunch of travels I did and ex- experts I talked to in that uh, around that specific discomfort and why it's now important for us uh, and how you can weave it back into your life.
0: It's remarkable, uh, it really is, uh, and I and. I- the and for guys who haven't read the book, uh, and uh, subsequently will now that they've heard the podcast, um, they uh, the the kind of that the thread of the narrative throughout the whole book is this is this trip, yeah, right, yeah, and, and being out there and all the different things that you that you face and, and discuss, uh, about that. And I, I love, I mean, I really loved reading some of the characterizations of how you felt and what you were dealing with up there because I was like. Yeah. I think if I was there, that's exactly (laughs) how I think I'd probably feel about things, you know, know, and it's like, I'm a reasonably fit guy. I'm a reason, you know, like I've done some hard stuff and, you know, but reading that made me kind of go, that's, that's for real. Like that's, that was pretty, um, it was a little next level. Yeah. Yeah. We had some for real moments
1: and it's, um, you know, what it taught me though, is like, I, I was doing a podcast. This was like over the summer and it was with this guy who, um, who's been successful. I mean, about as successful as a human could ever be. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, he now has enough resources that he could pretty much do whatever the hell he wants. And when we sat down and we're talking, he's like, dude, I could never do 30 or like a month in the Arctic. Like you do. I, I could just never do that. I'm like, dude, you're like, yes, you're full of it. Like, right. the only reason you say that is because you had the you were lucky enough to be born in 1979 or 85, or whatever you're, like, you're yeah. born. Yeah, and were you born like two, three hundred years ago, that would be everyday life, for <laughs> right? So, we don't you wouldn't have done it exactly. So, we here we are thinking, like, oh, I can never sleep outside for like two nights, I'm, yeah, screw that. It's like it's just because you were born at a certain time and your brain is adapted to that. No, you are capable of doing way more than you ever imagined.
2: Yeah.
1: It's just that our environments never show us that anymore. So we have to reinsert this kind of stuff back into our life to get those benefits, right? It's kind of like, like what you guys are doing. It's like the world doesn't force people to hang out anymore. Like we used to, we used to have to be in a tribe and all work together to right. survive. It's like now, there's people in, there's an entire class of people in Japan who never leave their rooms for like years at a time and they can survive. Yes. You just need a bathroom. You need delivery food. You need delivery medicine.
0: And you, yeah, they don't even you see another human being. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I, and I want to did you tweet an article about that or something? I think you might have. Uh, it's part it's of it. Somewhere. I mentioned it in the book. Oh, do you? Okay. I, was yeah, I that think they so so like, but yeah,
1: I'm going to mess up the, the, um, how you say? It, but I think they're called the Hikiki Mori or something like that, and it's people okay, who yeah, just yeah. who spend. I think what it was. Never is after I read home.
0: about that, I I, uh, I think I looked it up and read some stuff about it, and it's yeah. it's terrifying. They live in like a little room, you know, and all and everything that they need is and there. And we're
1: talking like tens and tens of thousands of people. It's not like a couple weird dudes. It's like a phenomenon <laughs> there,
0: you know. <laughs> But here we are, and I'm not trying to, to knock on any particular company or anything like that. Everybody has a right to make money, and they do it any way they can. If consumers buy it, that's their deal, right? But, but we look at some of the things that I see advertised a lot, and um, we're, we're putting things over our eyes and making a virtual world that we don't actually have to live in. And we're having introductions now from certain gigantic tech companies who are saying, essentially, like, look live here, live here in this, this utopian fake, right. whatever. And, and all will be well.
1: Dude, look at what Facebook and Twitter and like
0: are, is this, I wasn't gonna society... bring their names into it. But yes, that's exactly it, right. I mean, this whole idea of meta and, and it's crazy. Yeah.
1: It's like, look, I'm not one to be like, social media is hundred percent bad. Cause I've clearly, I've met a lot of cool people on social. Right. I've learned some things, but at the same time as a whole, the way that, um, the incentives are off for those companies. Right. So yeah. like, what do people, engagement is key, right? But what do people engage with? They engage with things that make them outrage, make them feel bad yes. about themselves, make them feel, yes. and I mean, it, it, it affects different because people differently. We're,
0: we're seeking, we're seeking problems because we don't have any real ones. Yes, exactly. So the media and the, and the social media and all those kinds of things will help manufacture some for us. Yes, exactly. You know, so now I can be outraged by proxy.
1: I can, yes. I can have,
0: I can be, I can be challenged by product. I don't have to actually be there to yeah. experience that. I can just be mad about it from, you know, a thousand miles away.
1: Yeah. I, I was on this hunting group in um, September and there was a lot of kind of interesting people on it. And we're all sitting around at camp and people start talking about the news and like so many of these dudes are getting red in the face. I mean, just so worked up on yeah. stuff and they all agreed on the, on everything. But like me and this other guy are just kind of like, And I'm like, like, what's going on with you? Like, you don't care. And he's like, dude, I stopped watching the news like six months ago. I'm like, dude, I did too. And
0: I am better for it. Like, is my life any
1: worse? Because I don't know what's going on in Washington or like, whatever.
0: Like, no, not a chance. Not a chance. Those things are so far away. It's funny. I told somebody this the other day. I was like, you know, the only way I actually get my news, I follow, I have a couple of buddies uh, from college that I follow on Twitter, Mm -hmm. right? we're ideologi- ideologically totally opposed. Like, you know, c- couldn't be much further from, from one another in terms of politics and things like that, whatever.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And the other problem is, is they care about politics and I don't know how I could care much less about yeah. any of that, but the, regardless. He, well, here's what I do. I follow him on Twitter. And one of them, one of them is a com- uh, comedy writer, like writes for SNL and all this kind of stuff. Oh, so cool. Like, he's very funny. He actually does good stuff, right? Yeah. And, um, and when I see his tweets, like I see a tweet that's making, some, making fun of something you know about like a famous yeah. like, or or I look at it and I go, that's kind of a non sequitur. I don't think I understand what that is. I'll go Google whatever it is that he, you know, jokingly wrote about. Then I go, oh, okay, now I know what the news is. You know? <laughs> that's
1: there how you I get go. my news <laughs> now. You
0: know, <laughs> there you go. I'm like oh, if it was if it was bad enough that he wrote a joke about it, I'll, I'll go read with that. Oh, okay, that's go. interesting, and then I move on, right? If it's, I like it, and it's, but that's but you're right because uh, I'm outraged now about very very little. Uh, in mm-hmm. fact, my outrage, well, I could, actually, I, I wouldn't even classify anything I do as outrage anymore. But the, the things that bother me, the things that get me kind of fired up to want to change usually are around the fact that everybody's fired up and doesn't want to change.
1: Yeah. 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 I can see that. And yeah. I'm not saying like there's, you know, no value in news. Like I'm sure there's stuff going on that like maybe I should know about. But I, don't, I think as a whole that uh, I'm better off not knowing.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, right? Is when this guy tweets, it's usually about some sort of big national. Yeah. Issue. I'm like, okay, this might be a thing. This could be a thing, and sometimes it's not. You know, sometimes it's just, especially when when, you know, when the president was different, he was tweeting all kinds of stuff, and I'm like, "Eh, okay, we'll mute you for a while. You know, maybe maybe I'm not that interested anymore because you're just, you know, hating whatever. But, um, but now it's it is interesting. Um, so with a lack of actual threats, we've created existential ones. With a lack of actual problems, we've created emotional ones. Yeah. Uh, And 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 so here we sit. And so what you're prescribing, if, I, if, if we can classify it that way or, or talking about is, and I'm just kind of summing up for guys uh, listening here, right? So some of the things we're talking about are finding ways to simply just introduce a little more pain, introduce a little more discomfort, introduce a little bit more chaos or, or whatever it may be um, to help to do, make yourself more durable right? To to bang into stuff and to build some emotional calluses and some physical calluses and mental calluses um, to to protect ourselves against actual threats when and if they they happen to come and or the other kinds of threats. The threats now, I mean, no one's going to eat me. There's literally no danger of me being hunted by anything. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Maybe another person, if I make them mad enough, I don't know, but I'm a pretty nice guy. I don't think it's going to happen, right? You know, But there's no there's, and I don't remember if I said it while we were recording or not, but the most dangerous thing I'm going to do is drive to work or drive home tonight. Physically yeah. speaking, that's, that's the most dangerous thing I'm going to do today. Um, and, uh, and so building some kind of regimen for it. And so for us in F3, it's a lot of, uh, you know, that's part of why our workouts are one of our third core principles that uh, workouts are outdoors, rain or shine, heat or cold, period. And yeah. if awesome. you go inside, it's not an F3 workout, you know, it doesn't count. Right. That's awesome. And so, guys in the South, it's easy for us to say, Oh yeah, it's so cold. It's like 40 out here, you know, but the guys in Minneapolis are like, you know, what we did for our workout today is we grabbed snow shovels and we ran from one end of the parking deck to the other on the top and pushed, you know, two feet of snow. That's rad for as long as we could, you know, like that's what they do (laughs) in gloves and boots and all those kind of stuff. And they're like, but we have to do it because this is, it's outdoors. That's what we do. There you You go. Um, and, And so, you know, the, the difficulty may look a little bit different to everybody, but that's part of why we introduce this difficulty and 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 you know discomfort into everything that we do. Yeah. Um, so, at the end of the book, uh, there's a significance to if I if I say eighty one point two years. Yeah. Talk to so, me. About
1: that. <laughs> yeah. So as part of the book, I uh, I traveled to Iceland. Mm-hmm. And Iceland's an interesting country because uh, its men live longer than any men on Earth. You look at any longevity ranking, they consistently uh, rank at the top overall. And there's an interesting reason for this. So about, I think it was 15-ish thousand years ago, uh, Iceland was totally unpopulated. It is inhospitable. Right. It is a flat country that is hit by like rain and snow and sleet most days of the year. Just a tough place to live. Nothing really grows there. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So there's this group of Norwegian Vikings and they're like disaffected. There's this new king. They're like, screw this guy. We're the north. We're (laughs) we're leaving here. We're out of here. Right. Right. So being Vikings, they they get on their ships and they swing by uh, the UK, Ireland and they're Vikings. So they kidnap a bunch of women and they get on their boats. You don't say. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they do what Vikings do, right? Yes. Uh, and they land in Iceland. There's no one there, right? Because it's a terrible place to live.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, what ends up happening is that they slowly populate the island, but it's like mm-hmm. a slow, like as the rest of the world's population is growing, Iceland's population didn't grow at all. And that's because it is a terribly harsh place to live, right? Terrible weather, There's not much food to eat. They basically had to live off like the animals they brought, sheep and Mm. and goats and things like that. And um, at one point they had the highest infant mortality rate ever recorded because it's so harsh. But what researchers think um, is that because the landscape was so uncomfortable, so harsh, it essentially culled the herd and the people who were the toughest survived. And those genes have been passed on over time. And now it results in a population that tends to be healthier uh, and live longer as a whole than others. And, you know, a lot of people will push back and be like, well, maybe they eat different. It's like they eat less vegetables and they eat way more calories than a lot of other European nations. What about physical activity? They're not any more active than anyone else. Well, What about their healthcare system ranks in the middle of the pack? Mm -hmm. This is one of the only ways that you can explain this. It's obviously a working theory, but it's like, makes sense.
0: And and it's because then that the the difficulty yeah. of living there has somehow, if ev- I'm going to say evolved, but I guess naturally selected or you know whatever you want to say there, but has has become part of the DNA. Yeah. Of- yeah. And so that brings up an interesting point, which is we think a lot of times that we uh, that we do this stuff for ourselves. I'm going right. to do a Masogi so I can get better, so I can do better, and I can be stronger, or I can break through this self-limiting belief, or whatever it might be. And by doing that, I go, oh, okay. Well, now, see, I'm, I, again, like I was saying before, like, ah oh, I will achieve more as a high achiever. I will now achieve more, right? But the, the Iceland story struck me because it was almost like, you know, the patterns of behavior that I have now, I'm going to pass on if I'm, if I'm doing it right, I have three kids. I don't, I don't, if I remember correctly, you have uh, two dogs, right? Yes. (laughs) Um, So I don't know how many positive behaviors are going to pass on to your dogs. I don't know. Uh, Maybe some, but, uh, but, but even so you did it and you've passed it on by writing this book. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Go ahead.
1: And I was going to say, I mean, I think too, at a personal level, when you go, if, if you can do things in your life that impact, um, how you carry yourself that de stress you, that give you more gratitude, that's going to affect your every interaction throughout the day, right? And who do you interact with most? You interact with your family. So it trickles down to where all of a sudden you're a better husband, you're a better father, you're a better person to work with. Um, I mean, for me, when I got back from Alaska, it was like I was just better across the board. Of course, I was fitter, I was healthier. It's all these things. Sure. But just I was less. Not that I was now yeah. before, but I was like even less it's like I just nothing rattled me. It was just like isn't that oh, yeah, funny we'll get
0: this done' because, like I was a decent guy. It wasn't like I was running around like a raging you know jerk and yelling at everybody all the time, like you're a good guy, yeah, but somehow even that the comparison coming back, you go, Wow. i God, yeah. it's a whole new level of of and the only word I've ever used that it that satisfies me in anyways that is a centeredness, yeah,
1: totally, that's a good <laughs> word for it,
0: yeah, yeah, um. And so that's the legacy, I guess, that, that we're looking to leave, right? I, I hopefully will develop these habits and these, you know, and, and then pa- pass them on to my kids, pass them on to the, the men and the, the women that I work with, uh, yeah. the guys that I coach, the the guys that I bump into and go, hey, man, you okay? And uh and say, why don't we grab coffee or whatever it is, and, and uh, or in my case, not coffee, um, and, uh, you know, and say, hey, wh- let's talk through that. Hey, maybe maybe what you need to do is is step outside this this. You know, little world that you've created for yourself. You know, where nothing right. goes wrong, and now you're looking for problems. Like, let's go find some real problems to solve. Yeah. Let's go find some some demons and and uh, you know, or big hairy animals to fight, metaphorically speaking. Yeah.
1: And then that trickles on to the people that that changes his day and his behavior, and that trickles on to the people he interacts with, and on down the line,
0: right? Yeah. Michael Easter, uh, author of the Comfort Crisis, uh, UNLV professor. If you want to go take a class, what do I take?
1: Any journalism class with my name on
0: it. <laughs> ah There we go. Yourself, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, but uh, man, I I can't thank you enough for being here today with us to, on the on the 43 feet. But also, uh, brother, I, I am grateful for what you're doing in the world. Uh, I think I think what you hit on is something important. Um, yeah. And uh, and it's something that I intend to to take myself. You affected me, uh, and I intend to take that and move it to as many men as I know how to to move it to, so that they can do the same thing in their lives and and pass that on for generations and generations, so that maybe just maybe somewhere down the line, we, um, we live a more uh, fulfilled and more loving life uh, for those around us.
1: Yeah, hey amen. Well, likewise, I love what you guys are doing and it was awesome to chat. Um,
0: keep it up. This is, uh, you know, this is how you make change. Yeah, man. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it very much. And now uh, we're going to go ahead and end the podcast and uh, I'm going to talk to Michael about how he's going to be the uh, initial plant of F3 uh, Las Vegas. We'll see you next week.
1: Monday, worry mean, mean Today's Tom Sawyer, mean,
2: mean
0: pride. Thanks for listening to the 43 Feet Podcast. If you like what you heard on the show, or if it's helped you in some way, we'd ask you to rate us, write a review, and share us with your friends and networks. It really does help others to find us. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, write us at questions at 43feetpodcast.com or tweet us at 43feetpodcast. The climb we're on to create virtuous leaders isn't going to be easy, but we'll get there, 43 feet at a time.